Good evening, everyone. If you went to DCC, you would have heard the story I'm about to tell. And if you've noticed, we've been kind of following along the theme, and that's our relationship with Jesus. And the story is about a chicken named Chicken and a pig named Pig. And one day, Chicken and Pig were walking down the street, and they passed in front of a grocery, grocery store. And for whatever reason, maybe for the rise in oil prices, which doesn't help transportation, there was a sign in the window that said, eggs and bacon needed. Now, Chicken goes to Pig, and he says, Pig, I have a brilliant idea. How about I donate some eggs, and you donate some bacon? Now, Pig goes, well, Chicken, there's only one thing wrong with that. You can supply the eggs without any problem, but for me to supply the bacon is going to cost me my life. Most of us in this room probably want to be bacon donators, right? <laughs> Do you? Uh, I don't know. It'd be hard, right? To take a slice off your leg, I don't know. But tonight we're going to be talking about being a bacon donator versus being an egg supplier. And to really evaluate in your life, what are you? Are you an egg supplier or are you a bacon supplier? There's another word for this, and it's called being a living sacrifice. And in Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And we've all heard of the word worship. And when we picture worship, we always picture it as, usually it's with singing. But there is actually a better definition for what worship is. And worship basically means submitting to God. That is pledging devotion and allegiance to God. Now tonight we're going to talk about something that's a little difficult. It's not something that as Christians we really like to discuss because it's kind of hard. But I really want you guys to evaluate your lives tonight. And I really want you to think about what we have to say tonight because tonight everything that's going to be talked about applies to everyone in this room. It applies to me, applies to Nate, and Russ, and Linda, and everyone in this room. It, it's something that God's really been teaching me a lot through my life. It's, it's been a, a long road. and But to really evaluate, am I a living sacrifice? There's a lot of lies that we believe in the Christian life about what it really means to follow Jesus. So tonight we're going to look at those lies, and we're going to look at the cost of our relationship with Jesus and the benefits of our relationship with Jesus. I think most of us truly desire to have or to be a living sacrifice. I want to look at Mark 10, 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now this rich young man, if you evaluate his life, there's some things you can see about his life. It sounded like this man never missed a Sabbath day. 
every time the doors were open on Sabbath at the synagogue, he was there. He also looks like, according to what he said, I don't know if this is true or I think it would be hard, but he said he kept all the commandments, that he was perfect at keeping all the commandments. He seemed to want to serve God. He was coming after Jesus. He wanted to serve God. In that day and age, in that culture, they believed if someone was righteous because they were blessed for their obedience to God. And so this man looked like he had it all together. And from outward appearances, this man looked like a godly man. You couldn't accuse him of being a wicked man. Going to first person, from all appearances, I look like a godly woman, right? I don't look like someone who wouldn't be a godly woman. At some point in my life, I believed a lot of lies about what it is to live the Christian walk. And one of the lies that I've believed is that God is pleased when all I do is live to grow in my knowledge of Him. What this is, is this is inward-focused Christianity. It's all I want is to fulfill what I want. And I want to grow my knowledge, and I don't want to apply anything and learn. Another lie I've believed is that only things I'm comfortable with or have peace about are the only things that are in line with God's will. That's a big lie that I believed growing up. Another one I believed was that if my life is going good, then God must be blessing me. I equate pleasure with blessings and good things. I used to go to church or other Christian events every time the doors are open. I believe the lie that if I'm faithful to go every single day, then God must be pleased with me. You know, I used to have the attitude, I have my quiet time today, so I don't need to spend any more time with God today. And a lot of us, though we wouldn't agree with that intellectually, what are our actions showing? Uh, this is a good one, right? I'm in a leadership position, so I must be gaining a lot of brownie points with God right now. You know, one thing I believed was when the opportunity is perfect and the time is just right, I won't miss an opportunity to share with my friends. Sometimes. We don't always make those opportunities when they present themselves, and we believe that we have to wait for them before we can share. I like and quote C.S. Lewis and A.W. Tozer. <laughs> I believe the lie that if I can argue apologetical issues really well, then that must please God. I have been on 38 mission trips. Well, not really, but I pay my tithe regularly. I believe that if I quote tons of scripture on how someone received Christ, that's good enough. The problem with that is knowledge puffs up and makes you proud. It's not until you apply something that it becomes real to you, that you can really, when you really use it is when you really remember it anyway. I believed that I could show people that I'm a Christian by my actions and that I only have to use words sometimes, right? I believed that I am following God's will if I make sure everyone likes me. I believe that making the gospel attractive means I don't make anyone uncomfortable by what I say. And I believed that I validated the gospel, it, and that it wasn't good enough to validate itself, that my actions had to validate it. People wouldn't be attracted to it if I didn't make it attractive. So by my actions, I was showing that I didn't trust the power of the gospel. But look at what Jesus said to this godly man in verse 21 again. He said, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now that isn't to say that the one thing in your life you need to get rid of is everything you own. What it is saying is what are you placing before Jesus Christ? This man refused to allow God to have all of him. So basically he wouldn't swear allegiance to God. And there is a word for this, not putting Christ first in your life, and it's called idolatry. And that's a big word, we don't use it very much. But basically what that means is you're sinning when you're not putting God first in your life. 
Idolatry is a sin. One of the, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Having God before him is idolatry. Another word that you can use in place of idolatry, one that's easier to understand, is called unfaithfulness. And a really good story about unfaithfulness is the story of Israel and Judah. And I don't know, maybe you all know the story of Israel and Judah, but after King Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took over, the country of Israel was split in two. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. Now, Israel, the country of Israel, was never really faithful to God. They turned their back on God and stopped trusting him, stopped believing him. But Judah, on the other hand, pretended to serve God, but at the same time had other gods. So they serve God, do sacrifices to God, but also turn around and do sacrifices to other, people, other gods. And this is what God said about Judah. In Jeremiah 3, 10 through 11, it says, Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. So God says that being unfaithful is worse than not believing in him and not trusting in him. He says it's worse. Judah had the appearance of godliness, but she wasn't giving God her all. She wasn't making God her only God. So what does it cost to be a living sacrifice? What does it cost to make God your one and only? A lot of times, remember, we believe those lies. So what is the truth? What does it cost? Being a living sacrifice means becoming a slave to Jesus Christ. It means that you love him first and you love him only. And what does a slave do? In 2 Peter 2.19, it says a, slave, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Has Jesus mastered you? Has he mastered me? That's something that we need to evaluate. We need to be willing to give our, up our rights to him. Another thing that you can evaluate is what is a slave is in John 15.5. This is being a slave to Jesus. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what this means is that in James 2.17 and 18, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So basically, your actions will show what you really believe. If you have pledged your allegiance to Christ, it will cost you. And there will be evidence of your allegiance, and that allegiance will be fruit. The best example of being a living sacrifice is an analogy the Bible use, uses, and it's called being a bride of Christ. What does it mean to be a bride? Well, <laughs> I know, because I've been a bride before. The thing is, is that there was a personal price to marry Nate. It didn't come as no strings attached. There was a personal price. And one of them is, for one thing, this is what the Bible means when it says the two shall become one. And that is, for one thing, I am no longer a Riddell. That used to be my maiden name. I essentially took on Nate's identity. My last name now is Herbst, or as telemarketers say, Herbust. <laughs> so I've taken on Nate's identity. I'm no longer known as a Riddell. I'm known as a Herbst. Nate and I are, are one. We share a common identity. I gave up my independence to marry Nate. Nate and I share priorities. We make choices together. I can't just think of myself now. I can't do things for my own selfish reasons now. Nate can't be just another activity to fill up my day. My relationship with him has to be the most important human relationship in my life. It has to be more important than my parents. 
relationship with me. If my dad says, Aaron, you need to do this, well, if Nate says differently, I have to go with Nate. Siblings, they have to be, it has to be more important than my relationship with my siblings, when my relationship with my girlfriends, my relationship even with my future children. Nate and I share common goals. I can't just have my own goals now. We share goals. Nate and I share finances. I can't spend money on whatever I want, <laughs> which a lot of you girls, you might be bummed about, but that's the way it goes. You promise not to spend money on whatever you want. If I love Nate, I will do what he asks me to do. I won't ignore him, and I've come to find out that it really does hurt him when I don't, when I'm not considerate with his requests. It's disrespectful to him. I have to respect him when he challenges areas in my growth that need challenging. I have to give up my rights. I have to do my part to make the relationship develop, even when it's uncomfortable, even when Nate makes me mad, you know, I have to do my part. I have to allow for two-way conversation. I can't just talk, talk, talk and not listen to Nate. And a big thing is, is Nate and I share common values. I don't have my own set of value systems. We share common values. So going back to being the bride of Christ, I am a bride of Christ. You are brides of Christ. <laughs> so what does that mean? What does that look like? We, I'm talking about Jesus and I, together made a covenant. And in Revelation 3.20, it kind of explains that covenant, when that covenant was signed. It says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so back then in the day, for someone to make a binding covenant, they would dine together. So Jesus is saying that when you accept him as your savior, you are making a binding, binding covenant with him. You are signing the contract, so to speak. And Nate and I just bought a house, so we know about signing covenants and contracts. It's very scary, but you evaluate the cost. What is this gonna cost me, right? And Nate and I, we evaluate the cost of our house and we found that I mean, it's like signing your life away. That's essentially what you're doing. You're signing your life away. You're strapping yourself to this covenant. And it's scary. When Nate and I went to sign the contract, we were both really nervous and we were shaking. And <laughs> but we signed it. And the thing is, is we didn't regret it. We evaluated the cost and we didn't regret it. And it's the same way with Jesus. Evaluate the cost of being a disciple and you won't regret it. But the thing is, is what it takes to be a disciple is not something you can do on your own. It's something that only Jesus Christ can do through you. It's He's the only one really that can help you keep your commitment to being a disciple. When we sign that covenant to Jesus, we sign our life away to Jesus. This is what we are doing. We're saying, here's my life. I'm giving it all to you. So the cost of being a disciple. So what I'm going to talk about are the following things, or fruits, so to speak, will be evident in your life if you are truly pledging your allegiance to Christ. The cost of being a disciple. I lose my identity, just like in marriage. I lose my identity. If I have truly committed my identity to Jesus, then what he wants will no longer be an activity in my day, but a lifestyle. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Another cost of being a disciple is I will be disciplined, and that's not something that any of us like. But it said, and discipline is never pleasant. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 7, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. The hard things you go through, that's part of the cost. That means that God is treating you as his son. That's a form of discipline. 
and we have to get this idea and this concept out of our mind that all pleasant things are good things. So not all good things are pleasant, but that doesn't mean they're bad. It means God will use them in our lives. Another big thing to truly follow Jesus is that you will be rejected. You will be misunderstood by Christians and non-Christians. Not everybody will agree with your walk with Jesus. Your parents will probably want you to make a lot of money, and so they really won't want you to commit everything that you need to commit to follow Jesus. First Peter 4, 4, it says, They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. So your old friends you used to party with, when you choose not to party with them anymore, they're not going to be like, oh, good job. Most of them probably are going to talk behind your back. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, All men will hate you because of me. That doesn't sound like all men will like me. In Matthew 10, 34, it says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. So it says to the non-Christians, we are the smell of death. And I don't know about you, but I think the smell of death really stinks. And <laughs> that's what we are to the non-Christians. We are offensive to them. So you will be rejected. You will be misunderstood. That's what Jesus said. That's part of the cost of being a disciple. You will, if you're a true disciple of Christ, you will give up your desires and priorities. Matthew 10, 37-38 says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Colossians 3, 1-3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So as Christians, we are supposed to give away and give up our desires and our priorities to Him. Another big thing that none of us ever like to think about is, I will suffer. And in, it says, in this life, you will have trouble. This life is not easy. And one of the reasons why this life isn't supposed to be easy is because we're not supposed to be living here. This is not our home. And if anyone can attain to, or attest to life being full of suffering, I can. Being 15 and watching your mother die is not exactly a bowl of cherries. You know, it was really, really hard. But when I count the cost and the pain that I went through, I said then, and I'll say today, it was worth it. It was worth it to go through that. Even though I know I lost a lot, and the, more, the older I get, the more I realize how much I lost. But it's worth it because there's so much fruit from my mother's death. God glorified himself through my mother's death. People came to Christ and or continue to come to Christ through my mother's death. You know, there's so much fruit. My character was strengthened through my mother's death. My relationship with God was strengthened through my mother's death. I learned that God is so dependable and so trustworthy through my mother's death. And the thing is, is that C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, pain is God's microphone to a dying world. Pain draws you closer to Christ. So why wouldn't we suffer? <clears throat> Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I will, if I am a true disciple of Christ, be a risk taker for Jesus. At DCC, one impactful story for me was Mary, the story of Mary. Simple story. In Luke 1.38 she says, I am the Lord's servant. 
May it be to me as you have said. God asked Mary to risk her life. A, a woman that ends up pregnant and is not married is considered an adulterous woman, and she, by law, needs to be taken out in stone. So when Mary said, do what you want, she was saying, I will risk my life for you. And Acts is full of people that risked their life for Jesus. So I will be a risk taker for Jesus. I will be obedient. Um, in 1 John 2, 3-4, through 4, it says, We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That means applying what you're learning. I will desire to do God's will. Sharing my faith will be a lifestyle and not an activity. It says in Acts 1-8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is part of the fruit of being a Christian. Is that when you're living with Christ on the throne every day, you will witness. That's not an occasional opportunity. It's part of your lifestyle. I will lose my pride. I will not have the attitude that I'm done learning from others. And this is something that God has really brought me through because I had a lot of pride as far as I thought I knew everything. I grew up in church. I had it all down. And just in the last three and a half years, God has been destroying that idea that I couldn't learn from everybody. I will want to sin less and less. In 1 John 3, 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. I will not live for what pleases me or for what the world has to offer. So God's values will be my values. I will love others. 1 John 4, 20, 20 and 21, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. And he has given us his command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So are we believing the best in each other? Are we gossiping about anybody? Something that happens a lot in Christian circles is gossip. You know, and not believing the best, unfortunately. Are you forgiving people immediately? That's part of the cost of loving others. It says, the fruit of the Spirit will be more and more evident in my life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So those things are going to be more and more evident in your life if you're putting Christ first. And one thing to, that I need to reiterate to you all is you cannot accomplish any of this on your own. You cannot keep your commitment to Christ on your own. He is the only one that makes, makes it possible. Remember Galatians 2.20. You live every day by faith in Him. But it's not all hard. You know, it's not all pits. There's cherries, too. The benefits of following Christ. And there are tons of benefits. It says in Matthew 10, 39, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I know this to be true. I know this to be true because the circumstances in my life would suggest that my life would have no meaning and no purpose because, one, I was experiencing a lot of pain, and, two, I'm not exactly good with discipline. And so before I came to college, or actually until my sophomore year of college, I had no hope really. I had no goal in life. I was going nowhere. I had no friends. But when I trusted Christ, I grew up a Christian, but that summer before my sophomore year, I decided I would trust Christ with friends. I would trust Him with my life. And when I did that, I met Nate that year. I got involved with this group that year. And God just radically changed my life. And now I have meaning. Now I have purpose. I am truly blessed. Only through Christ will we find true fulfillment and satisfaction. 
There's one thing that the world loves to do that thinks that, that where everyone thinks that they're going to find a lot of fulfillment is through traveling. And I've done a little bit of traveling, and what I find is you're always looking for that next best thrill when you go traveling, or anything in life. You're always looking for the next best thrill. But when I get there, I find it's just the same. It's neat. You learn some cool things. You do some cool things. But it leaves you with, oh, that was only pleasure for a short little while, and now I'm kind of unfulfilled. But with Jesus, he fulfills you permanently. If I wrote down every verse on his benefits, <laughs> then I would be copying down half of the Bible. So obviously, <laughs> I won't be sharing all the verses on his benefits because there are a lot. So when we try to find fulfillment by ourselves, we end up unsatisfied, but not so when we look to Jesus. And a lot of times, we think that following God completely means it's going to be scary. And that his will is scary to me. Maybe you think that, maybe you don't. But the truth of it is, think about this way. If not following God's will means that you're only going to have temporary satisfaction, then how much better is it to follow God's will? No matter how scary God's will is, it's always going to be the best place for you. You're always going to be the most fulfilled when you're following God's will. It says one of the benefits of following Christ is that he will direct your paths. And that's a promise in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In Romans 12, 2, it says that we will know his will, that it won't be hidden from us. It says that he will give us rest. When we're weary, he will give us rest. Um, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in evaluating this verse, we find a few things that are benefits. One, we will have all our needs taken care of. We will be blessed with more than enough, with an abundance. We will be fulfilled. His discipline will comfort us and develop us. Remember we talked about discipline being the cost. Well, in Hebrews 12, goes through discipline, but one of the things it says that is a benefit of discipline is that you will share in God's holiness. And that's something that we all want, to share in God's holiness. Once again, pain will not overwhelm us. My mom's death did not overwhelm me. I did not give up, even though it hurt. I was able to keep going. Pain does not overwhelm us. He will give us a divine give us divine protection. And one of the coolest stories I've had about his divine protection is one day I had this stupidest little white car in the entire world. I consider it coffin on wheels. And one day I was driving, I was going to Fort Collins, I was driving over Wolf Creek, and it was springtime, the roads were completely dry, and you know the tunnel on Wolf Creek, how it says, you know, tunnel may be icy, be careful. Well, I was thinking, well, it's spring. I don't think there'll be any ice in it. The roads are dry. Well, I get to the tunnel. I was going kind of fast. I kind of was a lead foot in those days. But I get to the tunnel, and it's solid ice. Solid ice. And I hit that ice, and I start sliding into I was going towards the opposite wall. And I was freaking out. And for some stupid reason, because I must have been panicking or something, I wouldn't let off the brake. And so I kept sliding. couldn't get control of the car. And I prayed. All of a sudden, I just prayed, God, what do I do? And all of a sudden, this thought popped in my head, take your foot off the brake. <laughs> so I took my foot off the brake, and what do you know? I wasn't in, out of control any longer. I made it through the tunnel safe. So God is going to protect us. 
Suffering produces maturity. It talks about in James 1 how suffering produces maturity. With what we go through, we will be able to comfort others. And that's happened so many times because of the pain I've gone through, I've been able to comfort others with the same comfort that God comforted me with. More benefits is we will receive the desires of our heart. And if you want to look that verse up, it's in Psalms 37, 3-5. Our life will have meaning and purpose. Remember, my life has meaning because of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I would have a very aimless, go-nowhere life. When we put Christ first, we will bear fruit that lasts forever. What that means is everything we do for God will not be in vain. So if you want your life to count, then give yourself completely to Jesus Christ. One of the benefits I got was I got to marry Nate. He was definitely God's gift to me. One thing, also, I think everyone in this room probably struggles with loneliness. But I know with Jesus that he makes us so loneliness will not overwhelm us. I know that when I'm most lonely, it's when I'm focused on other people and not on Jesus. When I'm focused on Jesus, I'm not lonely. Some of the benefits of following Christ is he helps me to be someone of integrity. And everybody here wants to be known for integrity. And that's what Jesus says, is that he will help us be someone of integrity. He gives us friends that love us unconditionally. I know that regardless of what I do, my friends in this room are not going to stab me in the back. You know, they're going to love me. They're going to forgive me when I take them off. I get to continue to grow in my relationship with him. It's not stagnant. It's deepening. That's a beautiful thing. It's awesome to see my relationship with Nate deepening. So imagine how much more awesome it is to see my relationship with Jesus deepening. He helps me to conquer certain sins. He gives me wisdom and says that in James 1. He gives me grace for every circumstance in life. He forgives me and he gives me salvation. He saved me from myself. In closing, are you willing to be a living sacrifice? Really evaluate your life. Evaluate the cost. Jesus says to count the cost in Luke 14, 28-33. Okay, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, if any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And that's the cost, is to give up everything for him. And that's what you need to evaluate. Am I giving up everything for him? There's cool quote I want to read in a little book that Nate and I discovered that we had. It's all about fitting Jesus Christ into your life, your time, your plans. You let him have his place in them, but you still think they're yours. There hasn't really been any change. It's as though the building belongs to you, but you let Jesus live in one of the apartments. It's as though the kingdom belongs to you, but you let Jesus have one of the cottages. It's as though the schedule belongs to you, but you let Jesus have one of the appointments. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I get it. I shouldn't give Christ just a little place in my life. I should give him a big place. Well, I can do that. No, that's not what I mean. Even if you give him a big place in your life instead of a little one, it's still your life. And that's the problem. Jesus Christ doesn't want a place in your life. He doesn't want you to fit him into your plans. Then what does he want? 
Christ doesn't want a place in your life. He wants it all. He doesn't want you to fit him into your plans. He wants to fit you into his. You're called to belong to him.